Stay in a car. No way, I'm coming with you. Kid, let's say this is a movie. How many times have you heard someone say, stay in a car, and the guy doesn't? What happens? He saves the day. Or gets killed. Good point, I'll stay in the car. Wait a minute! What if stay in the car is what gets me killed? There's a gun in the glove compartment. Guns in the glove compartment? They could only be in a good old-fashioned Hollywood action movie. And they are! That was Jack Slater, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, explaining the rules of said action movie that teenage fanboy Danny, played by Austin O'Brien, has been unwittingly sucked into in 1993's Last Action Hero. This week, we dip back into the action genre and watch Extraction with Chris Hemsworth, a brand new release on Netflix. We also revisit a trilogy of daring heists with mixed results and sell our souls with dirty politics in this week's What Else We've Been Watching. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. This is Cellcast with me, Lawrence. And me, Sam. Wait, where are you going? I'll be back. Ha! You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do. So as always, we have, you know, in we have films we want to see outside of just giving you a, a high quality review and us being stuck inside. Uh, it's a perfect opportunity to uh, catch up with anything we please. So, um, Sam, what else have you been watching this week? Well, over the course of about three to four days, I watched the Oceans trilogy back to back. I really like Oceans 11. Um, I think it's a really fun ode to crime capers and heist films. And I think it's got this sort of wonderful balance between the ensemble cast. I mean, George Clooney and Brad Pitt's chemistry is just absolutely brilliant. I get the sense that off screen they've got that same sort of bravado as well between one another yeah um, I, I think you're probably right what I need a reason I don't say money why do this why not do it because yesterday I walked out of the joint after losing four years of my life and you're cold decking teen beat cover boys the house always wins play long enough you never change the stakes the house takes you unless when that perfect hand comes along you bet big and then you take the house been practicing this speech a little bit did i rush it felt like i rushed it was good i liked it tv thing was harsh and it's just but it's just one element of a film that is kind of almost perfect in a way it's um, wonderful, yeah. Ocean's Eleven still absolutely stands up. It, it's 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 not something that's like aged, I think, at all. I think it's still it's still just like so much fun. It's got something for everyone. It's got this great cast of people that always put in that that, that have wonderful moments for each person. One and like Soderbergh's uh, Steven Soderbergh, who directs it, has got this real love of 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 playing with 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 camera and editing that that makes it a um, like really uh, fun to watch visually and really interesting visually, as as well as uh, actually just being a really solidly fun like crime caper. I actually yeah, actually, I think what like away from the heist itself, like it's actually got some really really strong scenes. I think like one of my favourite scenes is between George Clooney, Julie Roberts, and Andy Garcia in a restaurant, and basically George Clooney is. Um, the ex-husband of Julie Robson. This whole heist is basically there for him to win her back. Out of prison, he goes and he surprises her. And there's a line in it where he asks her about her, her new boyfriend, who is Andy Garcia. And he says, does he make you laugh? And she says, 
he doesn't make me cry. I just think that's just such a lovely line in it. And then Andy Garcia later comes into the scene, and there's a sort of really nice power dynamic, because while those two are sitting down, he's standing up and sort of dominating the situation a little bit. And then yeah. when Clooney and Garcia are trying to like outdo each other verbally, um, there's just this shot that lingers on Julia Roberts, and it kind of says everything like about the scene, about how they're sort of trying to fight over her, really, in a way. Um, and then, like apart from that, you've kind of got all these like amazing heists that always keep you guessing, and some brilliant sort of one lines in it. I think the humour is very, very dry, um, and yeah, I just think it's absolutely brilliant um, in so many aspects. Um, but unfortunately, I do think it's one of the trilogies that is ruined by the second and the third film. <laughs> I mean, oh god it just went it just it, this was the first time that i had i had never watched 12 and 13 until i realized that you were going to go through it so i joined you for 12 and 13 well so starting with 12 it's kind of feels just really rushed thrown together and no one wants to do it no one feels like they're interested in doing it um you sort of commented on soderbergh's cinematography and the way that he uses light and color um, especially for the different, like the different cities that is set in, yeah. Um, and I, that still remains in twelve, at least. Yeah, the, the camera that, stuff is there, definitely. That but that's about that, the only good thing. But yeah, that's that. That is literally the only good thing about it. There are some absolutely terrible bits in it, like the bit where they try and steal this Fabergé egg, and they try to do it because Julie, because the joke is that Julie Roberts looks like Julie Roberts, so <laughs> she, so they. They say that she's... And it's kind of this really horrible meta, like, really just embarrassing joke. It's like, oh, look at all us big actors working together. Let's, let's you know, let's really um, emphasise that in this film and make it a part of a plot point. It's absolutely terrible. It's, like, it's the most laziest, like, plot idea I, I think I've ever seen. It's just so, so bad. Of the success of Ocean's Eleven, it felt like that was just a nice standalone film. Then they've been talking to go back and doing that, and... Especially George Clooney, like he's so wasted in it. I think there's one scene where he tr- he's really desperately trying to be funny. Um, they make a joke about his age, and he's sort of really like truly really trying to sell it. And there's none of that sort of subtle, cool, nonchalant Clooney that you saw in Ocean's Eleven and in other films. And I've absolutely no idea why they committed to going back to it. I know it was during that time where Clooney and Soderbergh were working together, and they were doing this sort of like one for you, one for me with studios and producers. So they were making the Ocean films, but then they were going off and doing Solaris or The Good German, which were released like just after Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve, mm-hmm. um, respectively. But um, yeah, it's a really, really horrible sort of corporate and you know making making this film because the first one did really well. There is absolutely nothing that I would ever want to recommend to people about it. The thing that stuck out for me most about Ocean's 12 is they forgot to do a heist. Like, you realise, like, by the end of the... I'm not going to spoil it, but I am but I can just tell you that that, that by the end, the, the, the big reveal in Ocean's 11 of how they did the heist is is brilliant and, and was, it was really, really clever. But, like, in this, they just completely forget to do it. Um, the closest they get to uh, a heist is... Um, using a hologram, which to me is even more like thoughtless and lazy. It's like the invisible car in in Die Another Day. Like, oh well, we're going to just replace it with a with, with um impossible computer magic. Like, it's it's really stupid. And and then and yeah, that then again, it all turns out in the end that there was just absolutely no heist in the first place. I actually felt really cheated by the by the end of it. And 
Who makes a heist film without a heist? I, I don't know. Well, apparently, Steven Soderbergh with Oak Ridge Show at 12. So, Ocean's 13 is more of a step in the right direction, but it, but it still feels like pretty empty. I think that the reaction at Ocean's 12 was very, very poor. So, they go back to Las Vegas and they decide to do a heist there. It, it's not quite as much of a misstep as Ocean's 12, but there's still a lot of like mistakes. Like, the, the heist itself that they're trying to do is quite clever where basically they're trying to make it so that at one casino they rig it so loads and loads of people um, win at the same time, thereby bankrupting an unscrupulous casino owner that's that's screwed over someone they care about. Mm. That, that unscrupulous owner is played by Al Pacino in one of his I'm Al Pacino, I can't really be bothered to perform in this, so I'm just going to turn up and pick up a paycheck and just do like the... the the most minimal work possible. It's his 80th birthday on the time of recording, so... Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, happy birthday, Al. Um, you were shit in there. They basically let you in on that, that. I think if they'd kept that heist a secret and done it as a twist at the end, then that would have been um, a lot better. Uh, and there is there is still something like really like empty, like the jokes aren't as... The jokes aren't as funny. Jokes, they they yeah, take a lot more. Funny. They do still take a lot of. We we won't completely like dissect it all now, but let's just say there's like they take a lot of shortcuts. There's a, a lot of that like lazy attitude still to writing stuff. It's really badly communicated and executed. That's what I thought. I think in Ocean's Eleven they tell the story of how they're going to do the heist really really well. In Ocean's Thirteen they do it really really badly. Um, again, it feels rushed. I don't think people really wanted to be there. Let's get, let's just finish the trilogy, get it out of the way, and then pretend twelve and thirteen never happened. I think that was the attitude of Soderbergh and the rest of the cast. But it's really weird because do you know what? I wouldn't making a sequel to Ocean's Eleven is not a bad idea. That's that's fine. Making a sequel to those films on paper isn't a bad idea. Like it's just that it's it's so poorly executed, such a massive misstep that that's why those sequels went wrong. I don't think it takes away from Ocean's Eleven, though. I still think that just keeps getting better and better. Do, do you know what I would say? If you think back fondly to, to Ocean's Eleven, but haven't seen Logan Lucky, I really think you should go and see Logan Lucky. I know me and you slightly differ on this. Well, I didn't like it when I first saw it, um, but I would love to rewatch it again. Um, I guess it's one of those films that I saw, and now I can't remember why I didn't like it. And sometimes you just have those experiences with films where you don't quite click with it straight away. But then when you go back and rewatch it, there are, and I think that's common with a lot of Soderbergh films because he's such a master of the art. Um, you can really pick up stuff that you haven't seen the first time. So, yeah, I'd I'd really like like to see it again. Um, that's got an amazing cast with Daniel Craig, Adam Driver, Hilary Swank comes in at the end as well. Um, so yeah, there's loads. Like I think you uh, know, Logan Lucky might even be stronger than Ocean's Eleven standards. Well, no, I I I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but I would say that. Um, Logan Lucky is actually the the better sequel to Ocean's Eleven that we never got after having now finally seen Twelve and Thirteen and seeing why everyone hated them and agreeing with why everyone hated them. I can say that Logan Lucky is a much better sequel to Ocean's Eleven. Like it's it's um, maybe it even benefits from just being a completely new setting and a completely different cast of characters, and so it's a completely different idea. Um, but a brand new cast. They, they, it's still got all the kind of the energy and fun that that's in Ocean's Eleven. It's just with a completely uh, different style, different setting, different group of people. There is also kind of an interesting uh, post-Trump 
kind of thing that I think's going on in it that I'll probably save for another podcast or something. But there is a, there's there's a kind of interesting subtext going on in it as well. Um, but it, yeah, if you if you Ocean's Eleven was released at a time and an age and in a place where I think a lot of people have seen it. But I think Logan Lucky, a lot of people could very easily have missed. So um, and I think it, it's definitely worth people having a, having a look at it. It's a fun. It, it, it's a really fun movie. And so, what have you been watching during lockdown? So last week we used a clip from a film called Primary Colors, which I then realised I'd never seen. We just found a clip that fitted. Uh, with the, our intro to, to last week's episode, and I really like politics and I really like political films, so I thought it was always it was actually a bit weird. I hadn't seen Primary Colours. Um, it's from 1998, and it's about Henry, played by Adrian Lester, who is a passionate wannabe uh, political strategist who lands a gig with an up-and-coming Democratic senator, played by uh, John Travolta, called Governor Jack Stanton. Um, who's hoping to win the Democratic nomination for president. Um, But he soon starts to learn that there's a kind of nastier edge to to politics as as the campaign goes on. No, 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 what do we do with this? Times? No, the Wall Street Journal, maybe. More authoritative in a way. Through an intermediary, someone not associated with the campaign. I don't think so. What do you mean? I don't think there's anything of use here. Well, you gotta be kidding. No, that meet my standards. What on earth do you mean? I mean, Madame, Henry and I don't think the use of this material is proper. We have a moral objection. And I have a historical beef. Oh, come on, Livy. What'd you go out and get if you weren't gonna use it? Because Susan was right, he could have been a real shit. I didn't think he would be, and he isn't, but he could have been. But Jackie, my dearest, you're off the fucking point. The point is we don't do this sort of thing. It's a very thinly veiled portrayal of, of the Clintons. Um, Bill Clinton, you know, Travolta's basically doing a, a Bill Clinton impression. And Emma Thompson's doing a Hillary Clinton impression. Yes, she is. And, uh, you know, so and it's and it's based on a, a, a novel that was, uh, again, essentially written by someone that was following one of Bill Clinton's campaigns. So I think the film's a real gem if you're interested in politics and interesting in political, uh, in political films because it really made me think about a lot of stuff. Not many people have seen it, but the people who have absolutely love it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, because I, I, I've, I saw it, really liked it, and actually it got stronger on the second viewing. Ostensibly, it's about the, the question of dirty politics and whether the ends justify the means. And the movie's really good at not putting itself in either corner. Um, there's some really good points kind of made on both sides of like, if you kind of lose your soul doing these things, it's not really worth it. But then the, the point is very clearly made of that, well, it's it's this or the other person wins or that this is just the the world we live in. And I thought this was this this film was also interesting for me in in kind of these days of politics and in 2016 for a couple of reasons because I think that if I'd seen this movie say like before 2016 I probably would have been pretty strongly of like no we must never kind of lower our morals just to win or anything like that but now post but post 2016 it feels like a completely different world I wouldn't want to do any of the things they do in the film but at the same time I kind of feel a bit that like there's no point being in opposition anymore there's some really dark people in power at the moment and the way that you stop them is a left-wing government wins and 
if you don't win then that dark shit just keeps going on and on and on. Yeah, I think I saw this film um, before 2016 and disagreed with the ending. And then when I rewatched it, I actually agreed with one of the characters sort of breaking their principles quite strongly. Um, and actually, like, I think that's kind of really interesting about, and probably why this should be rewatched in 2020, when politics has gone to such a weird and strange place. And I don't think we want to get too much into what we talked about in the hunt last week. Yeah. But essentially, like I think, is actually a really good um, portrayal of centrists like um, the characters that John Travolta and Emma Thompson play, um, and actually their decisions throughout the film in terms of how they go about trying to gain power within the American political system. And I feel really terrible, kind of admitting all this because it just feels like I'm agreeing with these you know with terrible people that have been against for so long but it's just like it feels like i'm crossing some awful moral line but it just is really really unavoidable you know th- this is the thing this is the strength of the film is actually they they managed to articulate a lot of these points really really well that this the, the this real idea of like you know what you're right we we don't have to play these kind of dirty games but you know if we don't then these things that we're gonna that, that, that we're not gonna release are going to get released anyway but the only difference will be that someone else will be in power and loads of really bad shit is going to happen so we have a choice whether we use this or whether the the other side use this and that is and and it feels like more and more that that's just something that i just uh kind of agree with maybe it's like getting older or maybe it's just the changing world but then you know what the other the other side of it is as well that there's also a sense post 2016 that the kind of dirty tactics that these characters did and perhaps the Clintons also played in real life has directly contributed to 2016 because you know in a, in a world where people are feeling so disconnected from politics where they just feel like it really doesn't matter what they do that the corrupt machine will just keep on whirring around being corrupt eventually people go well I'm just going to vote for this guy cuz because fuck it, it doesn't matter anyway, and he's telling me he's going to, you know, they're going to clean up this stuff anyway, and that, that me voting for this, either voting for Brexit or for voting for Donald Trump, is somehow going to really destroy the elite system, and I want to be a part of that. So yeah, it I could sh- be that these nasty things actually end up co- contributing to 2016 politics as well, so that's another angle. Yeah, I think it's kind of more about um, the politicians' personal lives, though. Because obviously it was at a time that was post uh, the Ligwinski scandal. They want to concentrate more on that because actually it's, well, these people are human. They want to change the world in a positive way, or especially like this couple do. But essentially, like, they're both quite fragile people. And actually some of the sins that they've committed, like, is it fair that they're exposed in the media? And should they then expose other people because it's all just sort of one big... Um, war of different factions really I think it's just an amazing film because it delivers in so many departments I mean the script is amazing Mike Nichols who directed it you know Hollywood royalty did Silkwood The Graduate Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf um, and actually just some of the performances like Emma Thompson is just absolutely amazing yeah it reminded me of why Emma Thompson is like so beloved like watching this film 
Yeah, and Kathy Bates as well. Um, oh, she's amazing. Ka- yeah, I think Kathy Bates might have gotten nominated for an Oscar for this. Yeah, um, and she was. And it, it's a real, like, actually, her, like, towards the end of the film, like, her and Emma Thompson and John Travolta all talking together and having this debate is, like, some of the highlights of it. Like, it really builds up to these, these, these great moments. John Travolta's great as well. You know, this film reminded me again of why John Travolta uh, used to be in a lot uh, more films and a lot better films because he's, he's really brilliant. He had that purple patch in the 90s where he just made so many good films. And yeah, it almost sort of culminates with this in a way. I mean, his performance at times, it's just such a real, like, his performance at times has so much diversity in it. He can be really funny, he can be really charismatic, he's really charming. You sort of, you hate him, you sympathise with him. Um, Yeah, it's a real tour de force. I think it's one of his best. I think the film as well, um, ultimately, is is also a really good, like, artefact of its time happening kind of it's made very much in the wake of the Lewinsky scandal which you know defined American politics uh, for that period and so watching it from that angle is really interesting as well because you get a sense of like yeah this was this is what politics was about um, in this period this is what everyone was talking about this was the unbelievable thing of that time and that's really interesting it's one of these films from the 90s that, that, that has been forgotten to a certain extent but is a real gem. It's really worth rediscovering. I think anyone that's um, interested in politics should definitely give this one a watch. So, this week, we're doing a brand new release, just been released to Netflix. The movie is called Extraction, and Sam's going to tell you the plot. The son of Mumbai's largest drug dealer is kidnapped by one of his rivals and taken to Dakar, Bangladesh. Chris Hemsworth plays Tyler, an ex-Special Forces soldier who is hired as part of a team to retrieve the son and take him back to India. However... Tyler finds himself double-crossed and in a city where every man is out to get him and to stop the extraction. Or, as a haiku, Chris, pick the kid up, but there's bad men in the way. Shoot them, you big hunk. And here's a clip. This is an extraction. So who are the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. (laughs) Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago. So, another risk on uh, a straight-to-Netflix action movie, but this time I think it paid off a little bit. Yeah, this was a big improvement on um, the Mark Wahlberg starring Spencer Confidential, which we reviewed um, a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, and definitely an improvement on Bloodshot, which nearly put me off action movies. L- last week, I watched some Swashbucklers, which which were from the past, that made me a bit nostalgic for a different kind of action movie. I would actually go as far to say that Extraction might have at least partially restored my faith in action movies for the time being. This is one of those increasing things. The director, who is Sam Hargrave, is an ex-stuntman. That's becoming a little bit of a trend in Hollywood that comes from things like John Wick and Atomic Blonde. And I think Sam Hargrave actually worked on Atomic Blonde, um, which is where you get um, stunts people and second unit directors who are people usually in charge of some of the action or the stunt people to actually step up and become uh, directors 
and there's an idea that maybe this this creates action movies that have uh, a focus on much better action and i think extraction is a good example of this yeah so action films live and die by their action scenes mm-hmm. and actually i think almost everyone in this film is is superb actually um they're really high octane all the sequences are really palpable in terms of the violence and brutality it's an 18 so that kind of says that or shows you that it pushes the envelope um the initial extraction in which tyler first gets to ovi who's the kid that he has to save yeah um sort of sets the bar for the extremities there's he disposes of the kidnappers with guns, sharp objects, rakes, um, <laughs> yeah, garden implements. I thought that was a very inventive use of a of a garden implement. And it's actually revealed later in the film that his second name is Rake. <laughs> so what the link was there? Yeah, so maybe that's a bit of a reference. Maybe well, they they needed a second name, and well, they were like, "Oh, kill, kills him with that rake." Well, call him Rake, or maybe he rake. just made it up. Maybe he was just like, oh, "I need to give this kid a second name." <laughs> Uh, what's on my mind? Rakes. Why are rakes? Uh, oh yeah, I stabbed that guy in the face with a rake. I think he kills two people. With he a does. Rake. He does kill two people with a rake. It's very it's adventure like that. He actually, I, I noticed later in the film, he actually kills a person with another person. It looks like he he basically like breaks someone's neck by flinging someone into someone else, which I think is is a novel. Never thought of using another bad guy as a weapon before. Yeah, he uh, ran out of uh, weird objects to use, so um, yeah, just used another human. The action's really good, but I wasn't really with this film in in the beginning bits. It started off with a huge bunch of cliches. Chris Hemsworth, who is is great, he's very charismatic, very watchable. Even so, they were going for all these cliches of like starting the film at the end of the film and flashbacks to a family that he might or might not have lost and you don't really learn about it until later in the film that sort and of anger at the powerlessness of it all and that sort of macho aggression that is there because he's he's yeah he's lost something in his life yeah and then it's that it's the, it's more the, the the hard drinking and the drug taking and then uh, like a character actually says to him like oh you just want to keep spinning the chamber until there's a bullet in it and i just rolled my eyes was just like oh god like is this is it, <laughs> if it's just going to stay like this i'm just like not with this at all but but it really it is a really good example of a film where once the action kicks off, it just really pulls it all together. And there's other parts of the film that I like that I'll get onto later. But I I think really the the point I want to make is that I think this the film really took off about about like a third of the way into it where they do their big action scene, which is probably going to be the most talked about uh, moment in the film. And I felt that the action scene was so good that it completely pulled me in and made me just root for the film for the rest of it and like i if i hadn't seen that scene some of the later parts of the film i might have seemed a bit like drab and diluted but it just seemed to inject such an energy into it once i knew i was like this is where we're at with this film it just shows like if something about a film really really works it can pull everything else about a film together uh in a really good way and actually made and just really made extraction uh really good i think in an action film each action sequence should escalate so it gets better and better throughout the film. And I think this is probably an example of where the best action scene is in the middle of the film. And so then after that, everything is sort of a bit diluted because they've really sort of blown their load in the middle. It sort of takes place um, within a car, or that's where it starts, really. And it's Tyler and Ori tr- um, trying to escape, basically. Um, yeah. Another character who's coming after them. Um, and it's just this continuous long shot in the car. And it's actually very reminiscent of Children of Men. 
sort of Afonso Cuaron, um, who directed Children of Men and, and other films, he's kind of like that's one of his like big motifs using a, an extended shot that goes on for a like a, a huge amount of time, mm-hmm. and that's basically what they they use in this. And after that, they go into a tower block where it's all very claustrophobic and you don't know what's around each corner. And again, this is just it's just so well used um, and so well executed almost in every frame. It builds up a really good tension, I think. A technique like having a, a, like a one shot or like a tracking shot, it can sometimes at first seem like a bit of a gimmick, but it's such an effective technique. I'm not tired of it yet. Like 1917 from earlier in the year, obviously that's one of its main selling points it's so effective and it's no less an extraction because if you'd cut between these sequences they would have felt like it lost momentum but it just kept going and going and going just it just so it just hooks you in and the tension just builds up more and more and more it's using like you know camera magic a lot of the time this isn't all done in in one shot there are definitely several sequences that are done in one shot but it's probably split up you know a few times everything becomes amplified um, especially towards the end of of the sequence, like every every like bang and crash, it feels even more intense, and it's really good. W- what else is great about this sequence uh, is that it you all the different ideas that could be in an action scene in this one sequence is all crashed into one uh, really intense, brilliant, brutal sequence. And, I th- and it's really ambitious, but it absolutely works. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, my favourite part of it is actually how it follows different characters. Um, yeah, so that's like, great. And actually, it's like it's not dedicated just to one. What you sort of get in an action scene most of the time. It's so fluid, it makes the action more unexpected and thrilling as well. Because I've actually never really seen... Oh, I might have seen it before, but I can't really remember a film where they sort of disregard the character that you're following. And then with another character... And then it sort of revolves around. And yeah, you just don't really know when the next fight will be. Yeah. And it just makes it more... Yeah, it just makes it so much more exciting. Fluid is the perfect word for it. Uh, because, yeah, it, it's we're, we're describing a, a movement here. The camera never cuts. It just hops onto someone else. And then hops off them onto someone else. And then drags along and then hops onto someone else and stuff. All through this kind of... What about, like, 12 to 15 minute yeah. kind of sequence? Something like that? I'd actually say that Dakar in Bangladesh um, is a great setting in terms of the action as well, because it adds the tension, claustrophobia, and sort of anarchy of the place. Um, Absolutely. Because it takes place in narrow streets, mazy tower blocks, like condensed spaces, blockades of vehicles, shut down bridges. And with Tyler and Ori on their own, there is a massive paranoia. And it's great to see an action film sort of use location to resemble one of its themes. Something that actually, like the Bourne trilogy, like really trademarked the fact that you'd go into one of these, like whether it be Berlin or uh, Morocco or another one of these sort of European cities, and then because of it was just yeah, it was really compact and tight, and again you didn't really know where like the antagonist was going to come from. Then it created this sort of overwhelming sense of panic, um, and I think actually this was it's a film that used its setting really really well. One of the weak parts of the film is that these characters, Tyler and Saju. Like it, the well in the first two parts of the film, they they're really going at it, and it does really feel like well they feel a bit sort of immortal. I think that was my complaint about Bloodshot is that these characters there was no concept of death. Yeah, they were just so good at fighting, and you just couldn't get them down. And that's what it definitely feels like a little bit that these people, no matter how like how much they hurt, how much they get 
like hit or punched or kicked or stabbed, they're still going to keep coming back. And that kind of like that sort of lost me a little bit. I think you're right. Him and uh, Tyler, played by Chris Hemsworth, they're both like the super soldiers in this film. But that's why it's exciting to see them go at it because after a while you realise that these two can just take out most of the normal um, antagonists that they come up against. So when they fight each other, it's really a spectacle and it's really cool watching kind of two titans. It's a, it's a, it's a really good dynamic. I suppose as the body count rises... It's true, they do kill a lot of people. That's where it kind of lost me a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's an, it's an 18 action film, so it's not going to relent on the violence or the visceral nature of the fighting. But a part of me felt like... Well, they, it feels like they've sort of taken out all of the police force now. How are there any? <laughs> how there are any police left um, in the city? I think the other complaint that I would have about the action is probably the overuse of gunfu. And so, gunfu. <laughs> Wikipedia describes gunfu as a fictional style of sophisticated close quarters gunfighting, resembling a martial arts battle that combines firearms with hand to hand combat. I do think this is something that you see in John Wick a lot. I'm not a big fan of the. Um, uh, yeah, that's what franchise. John Wick is completely defined by, that, that style of action. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is that it's fine in one scene. If you overuse it, it just tends to look the same. By the end, it just feels like they're, all the deaths, all the violence in it is happening in the same sort of way. That's what I don't like about Gunfu. So if they used less of that, I think it would have been better as an action film overall. I don't agree, because I think in... Other films that use gun foo in John Wick or Equilibrium, it is it is almost a, a complete new martial art. But in Extraction, when they do they do the gun foo, it's it's usually like somebody basically wrestling with a pistol. When they when they're struggling in that way, then it, it it feels in Extraction more like a survival thing. It doesn't feel like it's because it's a martial art. They still feel like they're doing it because they're really good at fighting and really good at killing people but it does, doesn't I don't think it really feels the same yeah but it's still a style that I'd say is probably very like in vogue within the it genre is. at the it moment it is absolutely and because of the success of the three John Wick films directors who are working within this genre feel safer to use it because they think oh hey the John Wick films are popular I prefer action scenes to differentiate a little bit and the style of the violence I think is, is where you can do that. I, yeah, I mean, I I agree that I think the John Wick films do suffer a lot by from homogeneity, but I didn't get that feeling as much with Extraction because we moved through all these different segments of being in a car fight, being in a gunfight, being in a you know something in more hand to hand. Then it, it didn't feel like any of those things got as tired. I, I'm aware that a lot of people get a, get a bit sickened by action films because they think they have no substance to them. But I think there are degrees to this stuff. You know, I think that... I don't think something needs to be Shawshank Redemption and make things explode. An action film should get you invested in a character, but it doesn't have to do everything, you know, a melodrama does to, to do that. I think you can still get invested in it. And I think that although Extraction isn't going to be the thinkiest of action films... I think Extraction does do that. They managed to build up a, a world 
obviously Ovi is um, a child of a of a drug dealer in this in this world. But then you also see some of the other children that that exist in this world as well. You get an understanding that children do exist in this world, but children are not treated very well in this world. Yeah, I thought they were trying to make a point about exploitation, um, and even maybe how a lot of sort of loyalty to father figures can be dangerous as well as helpful and yeah. nurturing. Uh, we should probably explain that actually, like, there's a subplot with the um, the drug dealer in Bangladesh who's trying to kill Tyler and get back Ori, and he sort of forms a bond with a, a teenager, yeah. who's someone who's just come off the street, and they form a bit of a bond, and this teenager then goes after Tyler based on how this drug dealer has sort of persuaded him. But he's kind of by persuaded, I mean, he's he's corrupted him, yeah. he's, he's flattered him, and then basically is also trying to take him under his wing and i thought it was an interesting because it's not something that the film like had to do that there are all these little things they do that just add add a little bit extra add do add a little bit of depth and it's really really worth it i yeah i think so as well i mean especially between because over the course of the film tyler and ori become like closer and there is this like father-son relationship and I think at the beginning, because Ori doesn't really have a father, his father, who's Mumbai's biggest drug dealer, he's in prison. Tyler's lost his son, um, but they are just committed to one another. Like, and because it could be like understood that at one point in the film, like Tyler just feels like, no, this is too much. Like, I, I don't want to look after Ori. I just want to go away and survive. And Ori thinks, well, I don't know why this guy's trying to protect me. I'd rather just go with Saju, who I know and works for my father. But because they've both had this loss or this like this void in their lives, and it like explains why they, they don't abandon each other and they sort of stick together and, you know, try and survive. I think the film successfully manages to communicate enough to, to, to reasons why they would stick together and make it like an emotional um bond as well as just like something practical and i think that's really good but i think you're right what you say about exploitation i think this is a this is a world that it, you know it's a world of tough decisions and you do get a sense of like these things are passed on and there's a legacy of of violence and a legacy of moral choices and you know depending on who you end up looking up to you might going down end up going down one path or another path i, I think they managed to build up saju as well like really well uh, as well because they rather than just making him this kind of like terminator that's that's coming after him because he definitely has that presence during the action sequences they also kind of um go into stuff with his family they ha- they give him a kind of like softer opening so you understand that, that what, what his motivation yeah. is and I, and I and I thought that actually Chris Hemsworth's backstory of his son was quite moving and you understood that he was stuck in a cycle of violence again I don't think all of this stuff means that it's you know, Oscar-winning and tear-jerking, and it's been used in other action. And films it's been before. used in other action films before. It definitely has. But um, I think they were, you know, it's already a, a very technically brilliant action film. And I think this, this, these, these bits are really important in adding a flavour that that kept you really invested, rather than just waiting for the next explosion. I saw the trailer to this, and I really didn't. I, I really wasn't looking forward to it. Whether I felt like a bit disheartened by action films recently. But Extraction turned out to be actually exactly what I needed, like a real antidote to some other much more shoddy action films that I've watched recently. I, I think that it is a it's a genre piece, right? I, I think that if you if you're not usually moved by action films, if if they do just make you fall asleep, I I don't think this is going to win you back. But I think if you are an action fan, I think this is you know real must see. I think this is this is this is really worth a look in. 
I think there's lots of elements about it that make it a really strong action film. I think it manages to give you a feeling of a of a, of a desperate world, and it does have themes that dig below the surface. But ultimately, I think the biggest draw of this is uh, some some really fantastic, well put together action scenes. I think this is a re- makes a really good case for I think getting uh, technical people in the big chair because people like Sam Hargrave and some of other people in in other aspects of filmmaking they understand what what works and how something works and so if you give them more responsibility they can put out some really impressive genre pieces and i think extraction is an example of when all this stuff goes right as we talked before the genre isn't in a good place at the moment it's in need of reinvention but uh, I think actually this is an action film that should be heralded. I am going to take away the setting of Dakar. Um, I thought it looked amazing. And with the, I'm going to take away from it the really well choreographed action sequences that don't rely on CGI. Really pleased to see that. Um, and yeah, I think I'd recommend it as um, one of the best action films to come out in recent years. Are you always discreet? I'm not brave. You rescue people. Sometimes. Sometimes I do other things. And Extraction is available on Netflix right now. Um, So if you like this, uh, then I think you should watch The Raid. This feels like another cheat a bit because it's one of the greatest action movies ever made. It's a little like thinking of romance films and picking Titanic or films about racism and picking Transformers 2. But the Russo brothers who were involved with producing Extraction, mostly famous for their Marvel films, have voiced before of their love for this film. And I'd say that it's more than likely that Sam Hargrave, the director, a former stuntman, has come across it too. It's the story of Rama, a Boy Scout-like cop in Jakarta, Indonesia, who's a member of an elite SWAT team who gets called to bust a drug baron who's holed up in his own slum-slash-fortress. Things go very wrong and Rama has to fight his way to safety, all the while pursuing a personal mission of his own. The raid and extraction share a visual look. Both feel like authentic locations that are surrounded by poverty, crime, corruption and violence. They both have a similar style in their violence. Characters are bashed around brutally and relentlessly. Watching the raid can sometimes be an exhausting experience just watching people exert themselves this much. Both films want to be innovative and they both want to almost overwhelm the audience. Watching a fight scene in the raid, someone never just gets hit against a wall, but they have their head banged against the wall several times all the way to the floor and then kicked into another wall. It's an incredible mix of skillful technique and survivalist brutality that creates tense and endlessly exciting sequences. If you enjoyed the energy of extraction, the raid is right up your street. When I first saw the raid, I think it was one of those action films that you think, how the hell did they film that? Like, who was able to do that stunt? And extraction never got to those levels for me. But there were times where I was just really taken aback by whether it's like a sound effect or a shot that was like very violent or you know felt very sort of palpable um and i think yeah that's why the raids an absolute classic is that in the raid or the extraction that you kind of felt that or do, do you think that that was feelings that you had in both well i think 
I think in Extraction, there were yeah, there were moments like that. But the Raiders one film like that, yeah, that's why it's so amazing. I think it still stands up today. I think that the the sequel has a few more problems, but is equally a real achievement in, in action as well, and is also really worth a look. And if you didn't like this, then you should watch Leon. Leon is the story of uh, Leon, a lonely French hitman in New York. His ordered world is thrown into chaos when he stumbles into looking after Matilda, the lone survivor of an assassination by a group of drug dealers. I've decided what to do with my life. I want to be a cleaner. I want to be a cleaner. Yeah. Take it. It's a goodbye gift. Go clean. But not with me. I work alone and stand alone. Bonnie and Clyde didn't work alone. Thelma and Louise didn't work alone. And they were the best. Matilda, why are you doing this to me? I've been nothing but nice to you. I even saved your life yesterday, right outside the door. Right. So now you're responsible for it. If you saved my life, you must have saved it for a good reason. If you throw me out now, it's like you never opened your door. Like you let me die right there in front of it. But you did open it. So... So I've picked Leon because Leon slows down when films like Extraction don't. Both films are about a man stuck in a cycle of violence that takes in an unexpected ward, but the majority of Leon is not about the duo being hunted with danger around every corner. Leon and Matilda's relationship is the focus of the film, and it grows naturally over months, with them interacting and getting to know and care about one another through more than just violence. Leon is also interesting as, with a gun in his hand, he's ruthless and efficient, but in every other part of his life, he's sweet-natured and even naive. When the violence does kick off, it's also different, less chaotic and noisy, and more about Leon's ruthless efficiency as he calmly and expertly stalks his prey. Maybe you're sick of high-octane military shooters that brim with body armour and customised assault rifles and yearn for something that takes its time, builds up characters, and then when the stakes are high and you're invested, unleash the action. Plus, the unhinged and cruel villain Stenz is played by Gary Oldman. What more could you want? Yeah, I think Leon is one of the most unique action films made, um, especially within like American cinema. I yeah. mean, obviously, like Luc Besson had been making films in France for you know well over a decade by the time he directed Leon. But yeah, I think Extraction feels something that's quite complement in genre. But Leon feels like it's one of those action films that was trying to break boundaries. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a film where the relationship, like, because I don't want to take anything away from Extraction, because, like, because, like, we did, we talked about in the review. I think that, I think it did a lot of things right, and I think it did make you care about the characters and the situation that a lot of the the people were in, and the, and the world it made you care about. Its focus is on giving you that kind of excitement, whereas Leon, it is about this relationship and about how it changes both of those people for the better and it does have uh, lots of violence in it and it is really really exciting but it's, it's it's mostly kind of really tugs on your heartstrings and well it's very beautiful and it's very funny at times their relationship is really sweet and really nice and at other times is kind of sad so it does lots of different things and then again you have this kind of this action stuff kind of going on over the top of it it's it's a really unique film you know i, I was thinking about it more and more building up to this and actually I gave the raid to someone to watch who doesn't normally like action films but I think I made a mistake I think I should have given them Leon 
I think Leon should be the movie you watch if you really don't like action films. Yeah, there's something quite balletic about Leon, um, especially in some of those action scenes. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's any way before going into seeing Leon or seeing Leon for the first time that you'd think that they that relationship between him and Matilda is at the forefront of the film. Yeah, um, you thought that you'd probably think there'd be more action, but actually, yeah, that is the the cornerstone of what that whole film's about. Um, and yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, and it's yeah, it really is a gem. I actually I remember getting it originally from the library because I'd seen a trailer of it which showed all the explosions and all the gunfights. So it was definitely it must have been marketed as that, but I got a completely different film. Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as Cellcast and come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine.